health is not just going to the gym. Health is also doing something else and adding that. In your 30s is when, unfortunately, we're genetically programmed to start breaking things down, right? So now we want to check your hormone levels and make sure that your hormone levels are being maintained. Not just like your sex hormones, not just testosterone and estrogen, but also your thyroid, for example. Also, this is when stress really starts to affect you. So you really want to get in the habit of doing some of these therapies on a weekly basis, including sauna, cryo, to really mitigate the effects of stress. Hello, and welcome back to A Sharper Life. I'm your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time best-selling author, transformation coach, and I'm here each week to give you actionable tips to help you overcome the challenges that you might be facing in order to find freedom in your life. So this podcast is your one-stop shop to help you live your healthiest, happiest, and most vibrant life. And whether we're talking about how to move through trauma, how to have better sex, and impactful ways to deal with stress and burnout, I got you covered. And yes, those are all past episodes. So if any of those sound good to you, scroll on back through the archives. If you are new to the show and enjoy it, please be sure to leave a five-star review and what you enjoyed about this episode, as it helps others to find out about the world-class interviews, including all of the simple tips to change your life today. And for today's episode, I have an incredible guest. He is Dr. Darshan Shah, a dear friend of mine. He is a health and wellness expert and specialist, a well-known board-certified surgeon, published author, tech entrepreneur, and founder and CEO of Beautyology and Next Health. He has performed over 10,000 surgical procedures, ranging from trauma surgery, general surgery, and plastic and reconstructive procedures. As a health and wellness specialist, he has advised thousands of patients on how to optimize their well-being and extend their lifespan, culminating in the creation of Next Health, what is known as the Apple Store of health and wellness offerings. And in today's podcast episode, we are going deep. So I'm just going to give you a heads up. You're going to want a pen and paper for this to take notes. I can't wait to go and listen to this episode again because Dr. Shaw is giving so much information, whether it's different ages and what sort of testing and biomarkers you need to be learning at each age. We're talking about best supplements for your health, what to do if you drink and supplements to take. We're going over estrogen and testosterone, how to know if you're low on those and uh, increasing those in the body. I mean, my goodness, we're talking about the healthcare system now and why it's known as the sick care system. There is so much in this episode. So without further ado, here is Dr. Darshan Shah. All right. So Darshan, it is so nice to have you on. And you and I have a little bit of a history. So I, th I think I was there at the inauguration of the very first Next Health in LA, what seems like 20 years ago. I'm sure it was a little less. And since then, I came on the Next Health podcast, and I'm so thrilled to have you on here. So let's jump straight in. What is Next Health and what led you to start this? Yeah. Thank you, Nikki. It's so awesome to have you as a friend of our business and also as a personal friend since the very inception. So, um, you know, as many of you um, listeners might know, um, Next Health is a business in Los Angeles that I founded about five years ago. And it really came from my own personal struggles with my own health. So 
what happened was just like, you know, anything you find passion in in life is usually after a struggle sometimes. And um, I, I've been a surgeon now for 25 years. Um, being a surgeon, I was very stressed out. I was working all the time. You know, I would wake up at like four in the morning and work till one in the morning sometimes and barely sleep and eat junk food. And about five or six years ago, six years ago, I found myself in the worst state of health I'd ever been in my entire life. And this is as a doctor, like I wasn't able to take care of myself. And um, my wife just got pregnant with our child. And I was like, you know, doing the math. I'm like, I'm a little bit of an older dad. I, I had my first baby when I was 42. So when um, I was doing the math, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Um, I'm going to be pretty old by the time this kid graduates from high school. And at the rate I'm going right now, I might not even be around to see that happen. Like I was on five different medications, three blood pressure medications, a diabetes medication. I was like, you know, 30 pounds overweight. And worse than that, like I couldn't really move. I had no energy. It was a horrible, it was like my unhealthiest that I could be in. And, you know, like when you're in that state, you're like, I have to do something. So I decided to take the plunge and take a year off and go learn myself on how to get healthy. So, um, in medical school, you learn a lot about sick care. You learn a lot about how to diagnose disease and what's the pill to treat that disease, but you learn nothing or very little about health. So I went out and I got my nutrition certification, my personal trainer certification, and then I discovered this whole branch of medicine called functional medicine that I was really intrigued by because it's really not about diagnosing disease, it's attacking disease at its root cause. And when you attack disease at its root cause, you treat all diseases because it's you're, you're attacking it before they even start. And so I learned functional medicine basically and I applied it to myself along with all my other teachings. And I was able to get myself healthy in like eight or nine months. I was able to lose 30 pounds, get off all my medications. And I was like, if I can do it, anyone can do it. You just need the structure and they need the tools to make it happen. So that's where Next Health came from. I wanted to put everything under one roof and really flip medicine on its head. No longer being a disease care model, but being a health optimization model. And so that's kind of how we started. And you were there the first grand opening. It was a tiny store. I thought, you know, it was going to fall flat on his face and no one really understood what it was, we were doing. But, we, you know, we had lines out the door and it was amazing. And since then, we've opened five different locations and um, we're really off to the races. Amazing story. And yeah. interesting that you actually brought up something that I wanted to talk about, which is that in med school, 1% of what students are learning is about healthy eating and diet, and which we know is the baseline to living a healthy life. And so why do you think it is? Obviously, it's something to do with the American health care, quote unquote, care system. But why do you think this is that doctors, the very doctors that are treating and prescribing and helping us get quote unquote healthy are not learning what health actually is. Yeah. So it has a lot to do with the history of medicine, right? So if you remember um, when, um, I don't know if you ever watched this show called Little House of the Prairie. It was, yeah. it was a show. Yeah, it was a show when we were kids about these little girls that lived out in the middle of the prairie. And this was in the back in the days of, you know, horse carriages and no cars. And they would only call the doctor when something really bad was happening. Like someone was about to die from an infection. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they had a limb amputated from an accident. 
that's when you call the doctor, when thing was, things were really, really bad and you needed a life-saving intervention, right? And so that's where medicine came from. Like, what are the life-saving interventions that these physicians need to know so people don't die of like an infection or a trauma? But then what happened was, it's really interesting. It's such an incredible story, actually. Our population boomed, right, with the baby boomers. And now all of a sudden, our government needed to figure out how do we feed millions and millions more people? Well, the way they figured that out was to subsidize the corn, the wheat, and the soy industries. So then our entire food supply became these genetically modified corn, wheat, soy, gluten-containing, inflammatory uh, uh, product-containing foods foods that were stored and imported from long distance just to feed the entire population. And that food made us all sick. And chronic disease only really came about probably about 60 years ago when this kind of flip happened. And then people started to get obese. They started to get diabetes. They started to get high blood pressure, heart disease. None of that existed 60, 75 years ago, right? And so when our food system changed and and science got more involved with the food too, so like chemically altering the food to make it tastier, put it in packaging, preserve the food, is when our health started to change. Another thing that happened was the light bulb got invented and now people were working shift work and not sleeping correctly. And then the TV got invented and people became couch potatoes too. So it was like this perfect confluence of bad things happening in society. Um, just because humans started getting more technological innovations to have more humans live on this planet. And all that led to chronic disease. And anything in medicine, you know, it takes a generation to solve it, right? Because you go to medical school, you get out of medical school, and then you live your life as a physician 30, 40 years before you really change your mindset. And the the mindset change is happening right now. So now there is a lot more education around health and right. sleep and exercise, all this stuff. But, you know, you still have to wait for a lot of doctors to die off before that's really mainstream medicine, you know. And so it's just kind of the way history kind of unfolded over the last 50, 60 years. And um, I think now we're finally catching up. But what I tell all my patients is you still have to be your biggest health advocate. Like you need to take your health into your own hands because you can't outsource it to your primary care doctor they are just there for when, you know, basically the shit hits the fan and you end up trying to keep you out of the hospital, right? The, it's very difficult um, to give a lot of health advice because you just have not been trained in it. I love every, all the different points that you just went, especially talking about the subsidized industries and I, I same thing as you said, just different wording. I say that you are your own guru, meaning that the government, everyone, I don't want to say everyone, a lot of people rely on the government to say that this is correct, do this, don't do this. And then as we saw in the pandemic, there was a lot of people who no longer thought for themselves. And then here it's coming out like, oh, well, the thing, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done that thing or X, Y, Z. And it's like, oh, but I trusted so-and-so. And I I do think that we're in a time and an age where it's more prevalent than ever being like, you have to take your health into your own hands because as much as you think that these companies have your best interest, interest, the dairy, the whatever industry, it's like they, you know, they, 
they don't because it's been subsidized and we live in a capitalistic nation. And Mm -hmm. as much as I'd love to tell people like, yeah, the government's here to protect you and healthcare is good. Exactly. As you said, Dr. Shaw is, it is for sick care, which what a blessing that we have. Like it is emergency care. And as long as you can wrap your head around that, which is what I had to do to be like, Oh, that like I'm paying a premium for if I get in a car accident. I'm paying for a premium if something happens. God forbid it does. Hopefully it doesn't. But I'm not paying to go see a doctor because seeing a doctor and I we're gonna get into this, but like trying to find a doctor and a healthcare provider and this and like the right people that have your back, like that is hard. It's not easy to get all the labs and the referrals and they've really it has become hard in the healthcare system to Take care of your health. So I want to get into there, but you actually said something that starting off, it takes, and once you graduate, it takes 30, 40 years for that mindset shift to happen. So I'd like to know what was a mindset sh- mindset shift that you had from when you started med school? And we'll get into how early you started, but when you started to where you are now, what's a shift that's happened in your own life and thinking? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So there's been a few shifts. Um, one shift is definitely the one that we talked about already where, um, you know, going from this disease care model to functional medicine, where you're really looking at disease at its cause. So you don't have to get any disease that needs to be treated with all sorts of different medications to suppress symptoms, right? That's what you're doing, right? Suppressing symptoms, you're not treating the disease. So you want to treat the disease at its cause. That's number one. The second thing that I think everyone kind of innately knows, but they forget when they get into the healthcare system is that your body is this beautiful network of interconnectedness, right? Your brain is connected to your gut. Your heart is connected to your gut. Your heart and brain are connected and they're all working together um, to not just keep us alive, but to give us this incredible thing we call life. But what happens in the healthcare system is you have like an ologist for everything, right? You have the neurologist for your brain, your cardiologist for your heart, your, you know, and, and none of them are really talking to each other. And so what, what I think every physician and um, anyone in the healthcare world and even every person needs to understand is everything works together. And when you start treating one, something else will get better. If you start hurting one of those things, something else will get hurt as well. So for example, a perfect example is your gut, right? So if you don't treat your gut with care and respect and really understand what's going on in your gut, then your gut microbiome, the trillions of bacteria, viruses, and fungi that live in our gut, they will get sick. And if they get sick, they can't protect us from the outside environment and from toxins. And they can't also take the nutrients out from our food and present them to our gut cells to absorb. And then that causes all sorts of sickness. You get cardiovascular disease, you get Alzheimer's and dementia, you get liver problems, et cetera. And so everything's interconnected. I think, I think that's a really important thing for us to know. And just because if you have a gut issue and you see a gastroenterologist, that's a stomach doctor, doesn't mean that he's going to be able to fully understand what's going on in your gut if there's something else going on somewhere else that's affecting right. it, right? So that's well, that's another big mindset shift, I think. Yeah, and, and that's a, a huge one. And I love what you bring up is that everything in our body is interconnected. And so, and I remember having that realization too and being like, why am I going to a specialist for my skin when my skin is 
directly related to my mind and my stress and my cortisol and my gut. And so you you mentioned the gut microbiome. What causes an unhealthy gut microbiome? Because then you said it can cause other things to get to happen in the body, but let's break it down as simple as possible. So people know what are the things that they're doing or maybe not doing that are causing that starting point of the gut microbiome to get off and get wacky? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Okay. So there's a few things. I believe in the Pareto principle. That's where 20% of the information gives you 80% of the results. I'm going to give you that 20%. The few things that almost all of us do, uh, you know, at least once a year, maybe many times a year, that really becomes a challenge for our gut to handle. Antibiotics, so taking antibiotics for no reason. And if you need antibiotics, please take them. Like if your doctor says you got to take this or it's just going to get really sick, take them. But always do so with a lot of care and always think about how am I going to rejuvenate my gut after taking the antibiotics. And, and so if you're taking an antibiotic, which I actually, I just had to go on one for the first time in two years, what do you... Is there a specific supplement or something else that you recommend to counteract the antibiotics? Yes, prebiotics and probiotics. So lots and lots of fiber, lots of probiotic food, like fermented food, like kimchi, pickles, et cetera. And um, probiotic yogurts are also great as well. So really, you know, as you're, as you, like, I always say antibiotics and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, pain medication, they're like nuclear bombs in your gut. <laughs> like It kills all your gut bacteria and you just got to replenish it as soon as possible. So avoiding those types of medications, if at all possible. By the way, if you're on chronic non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, try instead taking curcumin with papaverin or pepper. Um, those two together really work well. I've gotten a lot of my patients off of non-steroidals using that combo. Third thing that we do is we eat a lot of inflammatory foods. This includes processed foods, uh, lots of sugar, and and um, also gluten. Most people will have some inflammation with gluten and dairy. So really, number one, cut out as much processed food as you can. I mean, if, if you, I always tell my patients to like give a pantry. Well, you shouldn't get rid of your pantry because that's where all the boxes of crap goes, right? So um, cut out processed food as much as possible. Our bodies are only meant to handle 20 tablespoons of sugar in a year. Instead, that's how much we eat every single day. Between what? Sodas, yeah, between sodas, it's hidden in processed food. It's It's in our like, you go to restaurants, there's sugar in almost every plate, believe it or not. So really getting rid of starches and sugar from your diet as much as possible. And, and like we talked about, gluten, dairy, those are also inflammatory to a lot of people. So any processed wheat, um, any high gluten foods, you want to try to eliminate those as much as, as possible. And then lastly, you we don't nourish our gut. Like we most humans or most people in the Western world eat one-tenth the fiber that their gut needs to feed the gut bacteria to keep your gut working. So supplementing with fiber and probiotic food is extremely important as well. So th that that's kind of the basics of gut health. Um, if you're having diarrhea, constipation, bloating, like, you know, if you eat something and you're just going to immediate bloat, there's a really good chance that you have a condition called leaky gut. And that's where your gut microbiome has been 
eradicated to the point that it can't really protect you from toxins anymore. And also your gut cells um, are, are sick and they kind of separate from each other. And what, leak, what happens with leaky gut is it's like, a, it's like a dam breaks and all the toxins that live in your gut go into your um, circulation and you get inflammation all over. So if you have leaky gut, you need to go on some sort of gut repair protocol to make that better. Oh God. I, <laughs> I always find it like with interviews, it's so hard for me and it, because I'm like, okay, I want to go in that direction and this and this, and you talked about that. And, and I think of it, like, I think of myself as the listener listening to this and I'm like, wait, but you said that. And what do you talk about? Like, what do you mean by that? And so I actually want to go from that last thing you said, which is repairing a leaky gut, because I see a lot of clients who have been diagnosed with SIBO or leaky gut. And then there's so many different cleanses on the market. I'm not talking about one like mine that, you know, the five day detox, which is food based of just everyone should do it very good for you. I'm talking about there's parasite cleanses, there's candida cleanses, there's yeah leaky gut cleanses, how to heal your gut microbiome. So with so much out there, it's a little hard to know what to do. And then you like I had a client recently who yeah, I got diagnosed with, I think, a parasite and candida. And so she was on this three-month intense protocol. And I take a different perspective because I'm like, the moment you come off of these, you have one thing, alcohol, and the, the body is going to react to it. And so I have a, a slightly longer-term approach to everything, but a and, and it works for the clients that do it. But I'm curious from your standpoint of when there's so many different cleanses and detoxes out there and you have a leaky gut, and maybe you think you have SIBO, but you don't really know, but you have brain fog, but you also think you might have a candida overgrowth. Where do you start? Where do you start? And what's the best cleanse or detox or thing or a supplement just to do to at least mitigate and minimize some of the symptoms to then go forward? Yeah. I mean, that is such a great question because it does get very confusing. So I would say you want to start with, once again, the Pareto principle. What are the things that you can do to make the biggest difference? So something like your detox diet, which I love, by the way, it's food-based. Do that. 100% you have to do that. You've got to clean up the food that you're putting into your system just to give your body a fighting chance, right? That's, that's number one is clean up what you're eating. Go through some sort of food-based detoxification of your diet getting rid of most gluten, dairy, those kind of things while you're going through, while you're trying to figure out what's going on. Step two is you're not alone in this anymore. Like finding a good functional medicine practitioner to do the right testing. So you really focus your energy on, on what's going to really help. So really working with a functional medicine practitioner, a functional nutritionist, a functional doctor is extremely helpful. Um, and because they're experts in this, this is what they do on a day-to-day -day basis is fix the gut. Um, and then um, lastly, I would say there are compounds out there like peptides, um, BPC-157, um, and um, some other things like bone broth and some supplements that you could take that are also extremely helpful in uh, repairing your gut. But you also mentioned a few other things like Canada mold. I mean, there's so many different things that you, that you can be exposed to that can be causing systemic problems too. So that's where I think it's really important to see a functional medicine practitioner that can do the testing so you know where to direct your focus. I love that. And now, you guys at Next Health, you mentioned you have five locations. I'm assuming that you do 
functional medicine testing there, but what happens if someone can't come into a specific location? Well, the good news is a lot of this testing now, it can be ordered by your doctor, sent to your house, and you can just give them a blood spot on a card and mail it in and you can get your results. So so the, the, the technology has just improved so much in the last couple of years where I can get a full panel of your micronutrients, of your food sensitivities, your gluten sensitivities, what toxin exposures you have, all from a few drops of your blood that you don't even need to get a blood draw. You just give yourself a little needle poke in your finger, drop it on a card, mail it in, and we get the information we need. I mean, that that is incredible. And also really nice to know that one can do that no matter where you live. Like that's been something that's held me back in the past where I, I do remember I worked with a certain company and they ordered these blood tests for me to do. And I had a, a temporary health insurance at the time and to find out where I could go and which lab. And by the end of it, I ended up not doing it. And so I paid all this money because it got so complicated down the line. Whereas now I'm on a different standpoint of saying, you know what, Nikki, you've invested so much money in travel and experiences in your house where you live and your body is literally the only house you're going to have for the rest of your life. And so in turning 35 too, I'm taking a different shift on, okay, like this is the year that I want to do everything. So walk me through Next Health because you guys, and I have some follow-up questions here, but you guys offer a lot of what people would say are biohacking therapies, functional medicine. So walk us through what someone can expect when they come in, both from the low range like let's say someone's coming in and they don't have a lot of money to spend. What are the biggest ROIs of you know certain therapies they can do? And what are the granddaddy of I'm going all in for my health at Next Health? Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. So I want to just talk about one thing that you said, just double click on that, is that you know insurance is really made to take care of you when you're sick. And I think people need to get out of the mindset that if my insurance doesn't cover it, then I probably don't need it or I shouldn't be doing it. You know what I mean? That's because, a great point. Right? Because there's so much that you should be doing that your insurance is never going to cover. And I think we have to get in the habit of realizing that our health is going to cost time and money. And if you're not willing to invest time and money into your health, you are going to get unhealthy and then need to use your insurance, right? right. But you, you, you don't want to get there in the first place. So unfortunately, that's the way the system is built. And next health, we're trying to change that. I feel like, you know, if we could do everything we do for free, it would it would um, save this country trillions and trillions of dollars in treating like stage four cancer and diabetes and with insulin and heart attacks, right? So we're trying to change that. But in any case, we designed next health to be accessible to as many people as possible. So what we did um, at next health, we have all the technology that I use to get myself healthy, including hyperbaric oxygen, cryotherapy heat sauna therapy, LED, um, and IV therapy. So we have a $99 a month membership. So um, kind of like a gym membership that you can come in and you can use all of those technologies. And then the other thing that's really big bang for your buck is checking your biomarkers. So we do this thing called the Next Health Baseline. And basically it's a blood draw that when you come in, it takes five minutes. It's a super easy blood draw, just like getting a blood draw at your doctor's office. And we look at about 80 different biomarkers that tell us the status of your health. And then our goal is to educate you on what those biomarkers are, what they mean, and what the optimal ranges are. And I'm not saying 
abnormal, I'm saying optimal, right? Because those are two totally different numbers. When a lot of doctors look at your blood work results, if your diabetes marker is not at diabetes, they're like, oh, everything looks fine. See, me, see you next year, right? But really, that number changes 20 to 30 years before you get diabetes. So you can see the trend and you want to know where you need it to be so you don't get diabetes, not the opposite way around. So I think just starting there um, for most people, coming in, using these technologies on a weekly basis and getting their baseline blood test done, which is, I think it's about $200, is going to make a giant difference to most people um, that that are you know, first putting their toe in the waters of this world. And, you know, I, I realize there's a lot of education that needs to happen. Like people have never seen their blood tests before, right? So we do a lot of education around what are these biomarkers? What do they mean, et cetera. As far as like taking it all the way to the, to the top level, we do this thing called the executive physical and the executive physical um, tests for basically everything. Now, this is probably, you know, you want to do this when you're a little bit older because we can find more things. I think when you're in your 20s, you know, your your health is at this optimal state, like a really optimal state. And it's really hard to find anything that's really going to make you sick. But I still think you need to know your biomarkers. But as we reach our like late 30s and 40s, it's time to start looking under the hood more. And our executive physical, we do a full body MRI. We do a CAT scan of your heart to look for heart disease. We do a blood test for cancer that can detect active cancer. I always say that cancer's biggest enemy is being diagnosed as stage one because we can just treat it right away. So we want to diagnose any cancer stage one, and we can do that now with an advanced genetic test. We also do a full genetic profile on you, and we measure over 500 different biomarkers, food sensitivities, inflammation levels, et cetera. And so we get a really good picture about what's going on under the hood. That, that's the executive physical, we call it. And um, that's, it's, it's crazy, the, the statistic around this. 28% of executive physicals, we find a clinically significant diagnosis that we either change the course of their health completely or actually save someone's life. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's really important. And, you know, I wish, I wish traditional medicine would do this on everybody because it would, number one, save a lot of lives, but number two, just pre-diagnosing all this stuff, you save so much in healthcare utilization, healthcare dollars, et cetera. And then the last thing I always talk about too is longevity medicine. So longevity is this brand new field of medicine that's happening. And, you know, we're hearing all this stuff like NAD and stem cells and exosomes and ozone therapy. Like we do all of that in Next Health, but I always say that's like the icing on the cake. You have to get everything else in order first, get your house in order first. And then you can start looking at, you know, putting another floor in that house, which is the longevity aspects of things, living longer, but also living healthy in those years longer. I mean, sign me up for the executive <laughs> one. <laughs> but as you said, I, I actually love that you broke that down, uh, that someone like me who's 35, maybe it's not for me quite yet. Although, of course, I'm sure I could do it in terms of just like quick answers cuz it as you were mentioning this it popped up quick answers someone in their mid 20s coming to next health what are the one or two treatments they should do someone like me mid 30s one or two or three four treatments someone 40s i mean it, it sounds like you've kind of said that but let's go on on like age wise what are the things someone really should be focusing on or maybe you even say like in the 20s like supplements or diet so what are your your answers here 
Right. Absolutely. Everyone in their 20s needs to get at least a baseline blood test done and get on a really good supplement protocol. Most people are deficient in vitamin D and essential fatty acids and magnesium. So just starting with the basics there. And if you don't have like this incredibly perfect diet, which most of us don't, you might be wanting to take a multivitamin. Okay. I think that's good in your 20s. And then just getting into a habit beyond going to the gym and eating right. Maybe, you know, adding sauna to your weekly routine or adding cold therapy, whether it be an ice bath or cryotherapy to your weekly routine, just taking it that one step further, just so you get in the mindset of health is not just going to the gym, health is also doing something else and adding that. In your 30s is when, unfortunately, we're genetically programmed to start breaking things down, right? So now we want to check your hormone levels and make sure that your hormone levels are being maintained, not just like your sex hormones, not just testosterone, estrogen, but also your thyroid, for example. Also, this is when stress really starts to affect you. So you really want to get in the habit of doing some of these therapies on a weekly basis, including sauna, cryo, to really mitigate the effects of stress. And I can, I mean, I'm giving you quick answers. Of course, I can go more in depth, but let's just stick to this theme right now. In your 40s, it is critical to start being preventative. You, and you have to make sure that you're following a protocol in your 40s. Because if you wait till your 50s or your 60s, you're that many years behind in preventing disease, okay? So I always start anyone that comes to me in their 40s with a test called the True Age Test. This is a methylation test of your DNA, and it gives us your biological age versus your chronological age. So how old are your cells? And then we could tell someone like, the sum total of all your health habits are causing you to biologically age faster than your chronological age, or you're doing something right, like you're younger than your chronological age. And we measure that on people once a year in their 40s. Um, most people in their 40s, that's when they do their first executive physical. And then definitely by the time you turn 50, you want to look into things like hormone optimization treatments, um, doing an executive physical every year, and um, also you know making sure all your habits are in good order. And it's not just diet, exercise, and sleep. Those are the basics, right? You have to also make sure you have good habits around heart health, gut health, brain health, and hormone health. Those are four super important topics, especially as we get into our 40s. And then if someone has all that right, which usually takes about a year to get all that right, then we can add some advanced longevity stuff to that. Things like doing NAD treatments, we can do hyperbaric oxygen, we can even do stem cell therapy. So that's kind of the, the general protocol I follow as we get older, as we age. That was amazing though. And I, I, I wish it was broken down like that. Like everything that you just explained is so much more tangible, even for me, because here I am thinking, okay, I want to get the executive physical and let's go. And it's like what you're saying. I, I don't necessarily need that quite yet. Focus on what I'm doing and really make sure I have the baseline. And I, I love what you said that the baseline of sleep, healthy eating and exercise, like that's the baseline. That's not something we should be talking about 30 years down. Like you should already have that in your repertoire of things you do every day, every week. And then like, I see this all the time where people are like, what supplements do I need? I'm like, well, my love, you don't need the supplements. You need to eat the food, the real food first. And then we can talk about supplements. And so it's, 
I would say there's a misalignment on what health is, but also because there's so many things at once, right? There's there's biohacking now and longevity and anti-aging and then functional wellness and medicine. And, and it does become overwhelming even for me, right? And I live and breathe this and I teach a lot of it. And so I think that was a really helpful thing of what you did, just breaking that down for everyone. I'd like to go into very quickly estrogen and testosterone, because I've actually heard this from a few different people. And I was having a conversation with my husband in the car the other day where we were listening to a podcast and the woman was saying that a lot of men are on testosterone therapy. And he was saying, what do you, what, well, why, what do you mean? Why would I do that? And so I was explaining and we were, we were discussing it. And it made me realize that myself included, very few people are aware of when estrogen drops, what happens? When should you get on estrogen replacement? Or what does that look like versus when should a woman, if not a man, get on testosterone? And what does that look like? The signs of when we should. So would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, this is another one of those things in medicine that has um, is going to take like a generation of doctors to filter through before we get to where this is part of regular medicine. Um, hormone therapy is extremely important and valuable in keeping us healthy, okay? So testosterone for both men and women is protective against all kinds of cancer, heart disease, dementia, and obesity and muscle loss, all of it. Like we, we it's, it's, a, it's a miracle hormone that unfortunately, you know, we're genetically programmed, both men and women, to decrease our levels of testosterone as we age. And especially after the age of 40 is when things start really going downhill. Everybody's optimal testosterone level is where it was like in their mid to late 20s. So that's the number to aim for. It's a little bit different for everybody. So, you know, I never measured my testosterone when I was in my 20s. That's why it's so important. You know, you talked about what should a 20-year-old do? Get a baseline done so you know what even like your testosterone level should be. And most people, like, just like you said, like first, before you do go on any type of hormone replacement, you've got to try to do it naturally. Start lifting heavy weights, reduce your um, amount of toxic exposure, eat healthier, sleep eight hours a night, all that will increase your testosterone levels. However, if you're still not at an optimal level, and for most men, that's somewhere over four to 500. And for um, women, it's different. But we do aim, like once a woman gets on testosterone therapy, we do aim to, aim to get them over the level of 50. Um, then you should consider testosterone replacement. Now, testosterone replacement has had a little bit of a, um, a I won't say a bad reputation, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. People think like testosterone will cause cancer. That is absolutely not true. Testosterone therapy, natural hormonal testosterone therapy is protective against cancer. What happens is if you have a prostate cancer with testosterone receptors on it, it'll cause that to grow faster. That's why we check the PSA on every man on a yearly basis to make sure you don't have a prostate cancer. But it actually protects you from getting prostate cancer. For women too, women experience so many symptoms of low testosterone. It's not just low sex drive. It's also inability to lose weight, inability to put on muscle mass, um, fatigue, depression. All of that can come from low testosterone levels. As far as estrogen goes, a couple of things to say about that. An extremely important hormone. When a woman is postmenopausal, the estrogen level, of course, goes to nothing. And if they're symptomatic, they should seriously consider um, getting on estrogen therapy. Estrogen is also a very important hormone for men too. 
So men with low estrogen actually have sexual dysfunction um, and um, a host of other problems too. So I look at both hormones, both testosterone and estrogen and progesterone on women as well, and really try to see what their sim- the person's symptoms are. And we have a lot of people on hormone replacement therapy, and it's been a life changer for many people if done correctly. So interesting. And mm-hmm. if someone's low on testosterone, a man or a woman, what sort of symptoms happens to them? Yeah. So first, the first symptom that you'll see is a lack of sexual desire, but then also low energy, inability to sleep well, um, weight gain, specifically in the visceral fat compartment, the fat that's in our abdomen, the dangerous fat. Um, you'll see loss of muscle mass, brain fog, dementia developing as, as things progress. Um, and also, I mean, there's also uh, problems with like your liver that can happen. There's also problems with your, um, your senses, like your vision and things like that. So testosterone is just an all around protective hormone. Um, that keeps us vital. And if you're just kind of not feeling good all around, you want to get your hormone levels checked. You want to get your testosterone level checked. Fascinating. And I, I love where this conversation's going because I'm just imagining myself as the listener of like, we're going over so many different topics and things that I you don't really hear about every day. And it's not like your doctor's saying this of you go to the doctor, you get your yearly annual checkup and it's not, they're not really asking about your, Hey, let's check, you know, your estrogen levels. And so I'm really grateful that we're talking about this. One thing I, I am curious because I, I interviewed Dr. Daniel Amen, who's really the world's leading uh, brain psychologist and, um, or psychiatrist. And he, we were talking about what are the worst things for brain health specifically, since that's what he studies. Now you study the whole body as as the whole functioning of it. And I'm very curious, what do you say? Like he said that alcohol and actually marijuana are like the worst substances that even marijuana is worse than alcohol for your brain health, which I thought interesting. I can understand alcohol, but he really went on a tangent saying like, all alcohol needs to be cut out. No, it's toxic. Now you've performed over 10,000 surgeries and you've consulted thousands on health and longevity. So what would you say are, if you had to name like one to three things, what are the top three things that we are doing ingesting that are like just the worst for our health? Yeah, that's such a great question, Nikki. And guess what? Like I love Dr. Raymond. He is, I, I, think he's totally right. And I've seen him. I've done my own brain scans with him. And it's it's amazing when you look at the blood flow patterns in your brain, what affects it. And guess what? Like what's, what's harmful to your brain is also harmful to your heart. It's also harmful to your liver and every cell in your entire body. They're all connected. So if you can eliminate a few things from your day-to-day life, um, you're going to be way ahead of the game. And it's going to save your heart, your brain, every organ in your body. So let's talk about those. You want to detoxify your life. So what's the Pareto principle on detoxifying your life? What's the 20% that makes 80% of the difference? Number one is stop putting the toxins inside of your body. That includes alcohol, smoke, processed food, and sugar, okay? And to a lesser degree, gluten and dairy, okay? Those are those are the six things that you need to stop putting into your body. Now, 
Believe it or not, the most toxins that get into our system come from the air that we breathe. So if you don't, if you live in a city, like most of the world's populations do, you're breathing in toxins all the time. How do you mitigate for that? Where do you spend the most time? In your bedroom at night when you're sleeping, and probably for you in your podcast studio, or like or I'm in my home office right now. I have an air filter right next to me over here in the in my home office, and I have an air filter in my bedroom at night. So now, 16 hours a day, I'm breathing filtered air. I also have this thing uh, that measures the air quality as well. So I, I watch that too. Then where where do we get toxins? In the water and that we drink. So never drink out of a plastic bottle. Try to drink out of metal containers so you don't get the- Would you, yeah. would you say yeah. that tap, like drinking tap water versus bottled water, which is better for you? They're both horrible. So you want to, you want to drink reverse, reverse osmosis water. So, but it, okay. I, a, I, I yeah. hear they're both, this is kind of like the chicken and the egg that I did with Dr. Amen of like, I hear, and I'm going to challenge a little bit because people know yeah. I do this. I'm on a road trip, right? I'm on a road trip. I go to a restaurant. My option is either tap water or I can order bottled water. So with that being said, which one should I do less of which one is worse for me of the two um i mean i think i think avoiding tap water in most situations is going to be a good idea bottled water you know depends on which bottle it is some bottled water is just tap water and they put into a bottle too you know so unfortunately there's you have to know the source of where everything is coming from it's almost impossible when you're traveling so what i do when i travel i just don't worry about it too much i don't you know 80 percent of my life is spent not traveling. And so that's where I have this little re reverse osmosis system underneath my sink. I have a metal bottle of water and I just fill that up throughout the day. And that's the only thing I drink from all day long. And that, that's going to be super helpful. And a correlated to this is like a lot of people might be listening to this and be like, well, what, aren't you eliminating the minerals in the water? And like, well, where are we going to get that from? You get more than enough minerals in your food. So you don't need to be drinking them all the time. It's okay to drink water that probably doesn't have all the minerals in it. Um, oh, and then the, the third thing is we put a lot of toxins on our skin. So the lotions that we use for women, it's makeup, even toothpaste, et cetera. You want to buy natural products that have, um, that don't have these toxins in them. If you read the ingredients and you can't, they look like chemical names is because they are chemicals. And so trying to use products that are detoxified is going to be very helpful. And, you know, you're never going to eliminate all the toxins in your day-to-day -day environment, right? Like going to the airport and flying in a plane and going into a hotel, it's just part of life. But on the other, the parts that you do have control over, you should do something because that's going to add up over time, right? I mean, yeah, yes. And a hundred percent on all of these things, because I, I get people coming to me as well being like, well, how much water and I'm going to drink bottled. And what about the exactly that reverse osmosis? And I always tell people, let's, let's just get you drinking more than one glass of water a day. And then it, like, we have to bridge it. So, and this is what I talked to Dr. Amen about as well. I am someone that in this current day and age right now of my lifestyle, I eat pretty clean, maybe 80, 20% yeah. is the 20% I don't, but there's no guilt. So I'm not binging or I, I really like, I, I eat quality, let's say, but I'm not yet at the place where I'm going to give up alcohol. And I, me and him battled a little bit on this because he's saying, well, you know, you got to love your brain. And 
I'm saying I understand that there are studies that say that alcohol can be good for you. So I, I understand both sides. But I want to know for someone like me, it was like, I'm just not going to give up alcohol right now, even though I'm hearing from different people, it's a toxin, it's a poison, it's not good for me. What can I do to counteract drinking so that it doesn't have that negative effect or even food, for example, but drinking, let's say, are there specific supplements or, and and as much as I want to hear, I think we've already heard it, drink a glass of water before, drink a glass of water after. So let's say people already know that. Is there something someone like me, I, Nikki Sharp can do since I'm not going to give up drinking alcohol quite yet? Yeah, that's such a great question. So you know, it's it's virtually, it's like saying give up sugar for the rest of your life and not take a single teaspoon of sugar. Like it's it's, it's almost impossible because it's going to happen, right? So like you said, like everything, um, you don't want to beat yourself up over it, but you do want to be get mostly to the point where um, you're decreasing the amount of day-to-day exposure to these substances. So with alcohol, you mentioned something really important, which is drinking water before and after dilutes it. Secondly, is stick it to more like wines versus hard liquor because for the you know uh, for CC for CC you have less alcohol. And then lastly, there's something I just um, started using myself, which is called Zbiotics. Have you heard of Zbiotics? Mm-hmm, I have. Yeah, it's genetically engineered microbiome flora that you can drink before you drink alcohol that actually breaks down the alcohol toxins as well. So that's that's something that's kind of like a little hack. The, the biggest problem with alcohol, especially as far as brain health goes, is binge drinking. So drinking like, you know, drinking to get drunk and then having like eight, nine, 10 drinks in a night versus like two drinks in a night, right? And the other big problem with drinking is drinking every day, okay? So two drinks a day, doesn't give your brain and your liver and your gut time to heal itself. So giving yourself four or five days in a row without a drink is also helpful. Interesting. Yeah. What's worse than, in your opinion, alcohol or prescription pills for the health? Because the prescription pills kill the gut microbiome. We know that. Well, it depends on what prescription pills. Those not not all prescription pills kill the gut microbiome. So, if you're on high blood pressure medication, anti diabetes medication, those are not going to kill your gut microbiome. It's just the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and the and the um, and the uh, antibiotics that are killing your gut bacteria. So, um, what I would say is there are th- there's a lot of things that are worse for you than alcohol. And there's some things that are not as bad as alcohol. Obviously, like doing cocaine is worse than doing alcohol, right? So so I would say alcohol is one of those vices that we've all kind of grown up with. Our bodies are pretty good at handling it as long as you're not overloading, binge drinking and doing it on a daily basis and drinking hard liquor all the time. The other thing about that's bad about alcohol um, or makes alcohol worse, actually, is when it's mixed with sugar. So that, that actually increases the absorption and causes you know, more brain health issues because now you're creating an inflammatory environment while you're drinking as well. And so you know, try not to drink too many mixed drinks that have a lot of sugar in them as well. Let's say someone ha- is hungover or they've just had surgery or they've injured themselves what would you recommend? And I specifically threw that one for the alcohol in because I know people go to Next Health for this. What would you 
recommend at Next Health for people to go do based on those different, yeah. I guess, things that happen in life? Yeah. So with alcohol, um, people get very nutrient depleted and fluid depleted. So we do IV therapy with a liter of uh, basically saline and all the nutrients that they need um, in their IV bag. So and it's funny because people are like, sometimes they're against IV therapy because they're like, oh, that's unproven. We've been doing this for alcoholics for 60 years in the emergency room. When they come to the ER, the first thing we do is we hang what's called a banana bag, which is a liter of fluid with all the nutrients in it. So it works just as well for hangovers afterwards. Um, as far as injuries go, and um, what was the third thing you said? You said well, so it, after surgery. Yeah. yeah, so if someone, so you're recommending, if someone's hungover, get into Next Health, obviously cut down your drinking, and if you're going to do it, go get an IV. Now, if someone is has an injury or they've just had surgery, I mean, you guys have cryotherapy, you have the LED. What sort of things should someone do to reduce inflammation and to heal the body quicker? Yep, that's a great question. So all the technology works so well for that. Cryotherapy reduces inflammation. LED promotes healing. And hyperbaric oxygen therapy also promotes an incredibly quick rate of healing from surgeries or injuries. So I would just jump in all three. Um, you know, take you my total of two hours, but you have, you've accelerated your healing by days or weeks with those. Amazing. Now I want to go into hacks. We've already been talking about a lot of hacks and oh my gosh, I hope everyone has been taking notes with a pen and paper because Dr. Shaw has been giving some incredible information here, but I want to go into these three things quickly. So I'm going to name a topic and I'd like you to give your top hacks for each one, whether it's a specific thing someone can do, a treatment at Next Health, a supplement, anything that you want to say for them. Ready? Okay, let's do it. All right. So number one is sleep. What are your hacks for sleep? Okay. Sleep. You can't fix your sleep unless you know what's happening during your sleep. So get a sleep monitor, number one. Number two, if you snore a lot or you wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air or you just wake up tired, you have sleep apnea. You're not going to get any better until you get that sleep apnea fixed. And there's different ways of doing it, CPAP, dental, dental devices, even surgery, but you have to fix your sleep apnea to save your life basically. And then once you have your sleep apnea fixed and you have a tracking device, then you start making little changes and you start tracking the amount of deep sleep that you're getting with those little changes. Your changes should be changing your sleep environment, which is the bedroom that you sleep in. It should be like a cold, dark cave, which means there's no electronics in it also. So turn the temperature down um, to 65 degrees or so and make sure it's completely dark. And if it's not quiet, get like a white noise machine. And then the second thing you do after you got your sleep environment fixed is fix your sleep routine. I tell everyone that your sleep routine starts the moment you wake up. So you want to go outside and see the sunlight. That will set your brain to start start secreting melatonin 14 hours later. Okay. So you want to go outside and, and fake light doesn't do it. You have to see like actual sunlight. Yeah, that'll set your um, circadian rhythm. And then you want to set a, a sleep alarm, which is an alarm one hour on your phone before before bedtime to start winding down, putting away electronic devices, um, et cetera, et cetera. 
I love it. I love that you said that because I heard that on another podcast that we've actually, we shouldn't be doing alarms in the morning because of the cortisol and that we're setting an alarm at, let's say 530, where your cortisol is actually the highest and you naturally wake up when your cortisol reaches the lowest. And then your body just gets up versus if you're waking yourself up at that five where the cortisol is the highest, like you're just going into your day stressed. And so what the podcast host was saying, same as you, is we need to switch it to setting bedtime alarms to go to sleep so that you can get enough sleep over the course of the night versus waking up in the mornings. Is that correct to what you were saying? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Amazing. And for the sleep tracking, I believe I see on, are you wearing the aura ring? Yeah. Yeah. And so do you, the aura ring, is there any other tracking device that you recommend? Yes. So the eight sleep mattress, um, and by the way, I have no affiliation with Aura or eight sleep, but the eight sleep mattress, um, I just installed it and I really like the tracking on that as well. The whoop band I heard is really good. Um, and I know there's also Apple sells a pad that goes under your mattress as well that tracks your sleep because some people can't wear a ring to bed. And so you can use like the eight sleep pad or the Apple pad. To, um, Interesting. To track your sleep All right, guys. Yeah. So you, you heard it first. You got to start tracking your sleep. You got to really work on the, the bed, your room, getting the filter, the humidifier, as you said, and then making it cold. That's a little cold. I don't know if I could do 65, but we're, I, I can, I'll can i try. All right. So next, next one up is weight loss hacks. What are your weight loss hacks? Oh, Okay. So um, the one thing that I've seen that has caused the most weight loss in my practice is getting rid of processed food. Like you can eat whatever you want as long as it's not processed. You're going to automatically start losing weight, number one. Number two is getting sleep again. So making sure you're sleeping seven, eight hours a night and optimizing on your sleep. And then um, thirdly, what I would say is the elimination of sugar. I think that's sugar causes... Your insulin levels to go up. Insulin is your store fat hormone. You want to keep your sugars and starches down so your insulin levels stay down as well. Now, one like level two hack on this is getting yourself a continuous glucose monitor, like a levels system, and really understanding what your own personal glycemic index is so you can avoid foods that cause your sugar to stay up or your insulin to go high fascinating stuff. And I actually remember I did a glucose monitor. I don't think I was as invested in it as I should have been because I had it on and I would look, but I also was not utilizing it as much as one can and really should. All right. So the last hack is supplements. There's so many supplements out there. What are your hacks for either the best ones for us to take for our health, wellness, or what do we need to know about them? Yes. Okay. So the the number one thing you want to know is make sure you're actually taking a supplement and not just sawdust. And so supplements are a totally unregulated industry. A lot of the pills that you buy don't really have higher concentrations of supplements in them. Some of them have zero of the concentration that they say they do on the package. How do we tell the difference? Yes. That's a great question. So the low, there's a logo on the supplement bottle that says USP. That means it's been checked for those ingredients. Or there's another logo, it's called, um, uh, it's a CA logo as well. So that, that's another logo that you can look for. I stick to certain brands that I know are always third-party validated. Those include brands like Thorn, Metagenics, Pure Encapsulations. These are all brands that I've 
use, you know, these are all brands you see at your doctor's office, right? They they sell to doctors. They constantly provide third-party certification to make sure that they're they actually have what they need in them. And then, as far as supplements, I would also say, don't go on everything under the roof. Like again, it's a Pareto principle. You know, I I, I tell everyone, think about how many pills a day do you want to take. So if for you that number is five, then let's pick the top five things that's really going to move the needle. For almost everybody, vitamin D is deficient, and it's a real, you know, so much research behind it. Um, essential fatty acids like fish oil or krill oil is extremely important. Magnesium is extremely important. Uh, multivitamins for most people is going to be um, extremely important as well. And then I really like NAD or NMN supplements as well. So I, it's it's been um, really good for energy levels and just general longevity. Amazing. Oh, such good answers. So <laughs> last question that I have, and this... I am so excited for this interview to come out because I'm actually going to go re-listen to everything because as as a student of life, you are just, you have been giving so many incredible tips and hacks and knowledge. So thank you for that. And so our last question of the day is this, I found absolutely incredible. You are one smart cookie, Dr. Shah. So you started training at an accelerated MD program at the age of 15 and earned your medical degree at the age of 21. And you became one of the youngest doctors in the United States. First, I want to know, how did you do it? What was that like? And really, the main question is, where do you see healthcare going? Where do you see it based on what you learned then to where you are now? Yeah, that, that's such a great question. So how did I do it? Um, I didn't, I don't even think I really knew what I was doing when it all just kind of happened. <laughs> I, uh, we moved from New Jersey to California. And for some reason, I had so many credits that if I just went to school over the summer, I could graduate a year early. And because we moved in my like junior year of high school, I didn't really have any friends in California. So I'm just like, let me get out of high school early and just start college because you know, I don't really know anybody here in California anyway. And I applied to these programs. I knew I wanted to go to medical school just because, um, you know, I was always so interested in biology that a friend of mine told me, like, there's these schools, there's six of them in the U.S. that'll take you right out of high school and they'll compress the eight years of education into six. And so I applied to like four or five of them. I got into the University of Missouri, Kansas City, which still has a six-year program. And yeah, I graduated in my 20, uh, right before my uh, 22nd birthday, like I was 21 and a half when I graduated. So it just kind of, I just kind of fell into it. I don't think I did anything miraculous or anything like that. Um, and I was really nerdy when I was a kid. So that, that also helped. <laughs> um, and then, um, how do I think medicine is going to be different? Um, we are all so lucky to be living in this time right now. There is this exponential increase in knowledge. So there's linear increases, which is what's been happening, you know, for the last 50 years where you learn something new and the next day you learn one more thing new and the next day you learn one more thing new. What an exponential increase is, is like you learn something new today, then tomorrow you learn two more new things and the next day you learn four more new things and the next day you learn 16 more new things, right? And we're seeing as technology goes on this exponential rise, like, you know, how crazy is it that like our cell phones have the same computing power of all the computers in the planet 30 years ago, right? Well, this, like our cell phone in 
30 years is going to be the most powerful computer ever known to mankind um, right now in our cell phone, right? And um, the same thing is happening as biology and technology merge. So as we use machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, supercomputers to understand how proteins fold, we are getting this exponential increase in the amount of medical knowledge that we have. And I really believe that all of medicine is going to move from a disease care model to a model that is focused on longevity and attacking disease at its root cause and um, at a cellular level. And this is, I feel for sure is going to happen in our lifetimes. I think you and I, you know, we're definitely going to benefit from this where we'll actually be able to reverse our cellular age as we get older. So think wow. about the implications there, right? I mean, we, we can, we, not only are we going to be able to live longer, but we're going to be able to live healthier during those years. So, you know, a lot of people live now, not a lot, but many people live into their 90s right now. Unfortunately, they start getting sick when they're 60. So they have 30 crappy years, right? We're going to live to maybe 100, 120, but we're going to have 110 of those years, 115 or 18 of those years be healthy years where we're vibrant, we can move, we can run, we can recognize our friends and our family and interact with them and um, just have a really vibrant and fulfilling life with a purpose. And I think we're we're so lucky to be living right now because we're going to be able to take advantage of this this uh, scientific explosion of knowledge that's coming. Wow. What an answer. And thank you so much for coming on. This is just blew my mind in all aspects. Thank you for doing what you do and being here. And where can people find you or check out Next Health? Yeah, just go to next-health.com. And um, that's where, that's our centers in New York, Maui, and LA. And then I'm on Instagram at Darshan Shah, MD. And I, of course, will put all of that in the show notes. Thank you once again, Darshan. And you're incredible. You're awesome. Thank you, Nikki. 